Bad things happen to good people because you can't actually become a spiritually developed person without these crucial periods of progress that happen when we're going through times of struggle and distress in our lives. And the point of it all is to set us free. There are two things blocking all of us from the peace, happiness, spontaneity, and joyful way of life that we call heaven. Our own false beliefs about life and our selfish or materialistic impulses. They can take many different forms in us and can be very hard to identify in ourselves and even harder to let go of. In fact, our ego will refuse to let go of them unless its world is disrupted, which happens during these times of distress. Only in that distressed state of mind can we really be liberated. This is a process that God carefully guides and manages, even though it often seems like chaos to us. So how do these struggles change us? Right now, we have our mental and emotional priorities all out of whack. Toxic, misguided elements crowd into our headspace, demanding that we give our time, attention, and life energy to pursuits and trains of thought that really don't serve us or anyone else. Our higher aspirations or the person we know we really want to be gets pushed to the margins and often drowned out in the noise. These spiritual struggles are the turning point in the process that flips all of that. In brief, they create the conditions to replace evil and falsity with goodness and truth. So they're doing something really good, even if it can be distressing to go through. Why does it all happen this way? Think of it like building your spiritual immune system. The physical and spiritual sides of life mirror each other. All the complex physical processes we go through are reflections of deeper spiritual processes. So the reason we have to grow spiritually through struggles is the same reason our immune system has to grow through encountering hostile microbes. There's even an analogous connection to the current medical technologies we use to stimulate our immune systems. Well then, what are these spiritual struggles like? We experience them as mental and emotional distress. Swedenborg describes them in places as the pangs of conscience. And I think it would fit into the more well-known term, the dark night of the soul. So is stubbing your toe a spiritual trial? Is losing your job one? Well, it's actually not about the event, but rather our own response to it. When outer circumstances trigger our own deeper concerns about the nature of life, God, and what's truly precious to us, then we've got the raw elements for spiritual growth. So this episode is about how our own struggles are an important tool for spiritual growth. We're not answering the overall question, why does evil exist? For that, see our other episode, Why Bad Things Happen. And for more about why things do and don't go our way, see Does God Control Good Luck? But to understand why God doesn't prevent us from suffering, how periods of spiritual crisis follow the medical principle of imitating an infection, and to break down the anatomy of a spiritual trial, keep watching. Why doesn't God prevent me from suffering? I mean, this, that shouldn't that be one of the basic duties of a supreme deity? If you can only afford the base level package, wouldn't you at least include in there, you're God, you love me, and you know everything. Aren't you going to stop me from suffering, feeling harm? Why is this allowed and so frequently in our lives, even if we're trying to follow a good path? Well, there's insight into that in this quote. Anyone who imagines that the outer self, yeah, there's got to be a good reason here. Anyone who imagines that the outer self can be brought into correspondence without inward struggle is mistaken. Correspondence being the harmony between the inward 
and the outer self. The outer self being where everything sort of negative and superficial is wrapped up, the inner self where, you know, the real goodness and truth in us lies. Times of trial are the means for getting rid of evil and falsity and replacing them with goodness and truth. Oh, they have a function. They're allowed because they do something. They're also the means for reducing the attributes of the outer self to obedience so that the outer self can serve the intermediate self, the rational self, and through this, the inner self, or rather the Lord working through the inner self. So there are different parts of you, and if they're out of order, we get, we get, we know what the results are. We, we've all encountered people or had periods in our life where the stuff that shouldn't be running the show is running the show. What God is trying to do is open up a channel for the divine to come into us and bring love and truth and make us into the kind of people you'd want to hang out with. But to get there, we spiritually have this work ahead of us of replacing evil and falsity with goodness and truth. And that's the hill we have to climb. And it seems like it's a little bit messed up that you start needing to fix this stuff, but it it is. This is actually not how things were meant to be. It's just like the physical environment has gotten polluted. The spiritual environment is polluted. This is not how it was in the beginning. We did a couple of clips about that, actually. Did God create evil? You can check that out. We also have a Q&A show where we touch on the origin of evil. But we are where we are, where we are. So let's figure out how we can deal with it effectively. The situation is that we have evil and falsity in us. So that would mean corrupt motivation, self-centered, exclusively self-centered motivation, and untrue ideas that justify and support that. We got it in there. I think you, if you look at yourself hard enough, you can tell pretty easily that it's there. And that's got to be replaced by goodness and truth, by a love for the common good and seeing life the way that it actually is. It's a lot like the work that we have ahead of us building an immune system as little children. In a vacuum, you might think, it would be much better if a child, think about how cute and sweet they are, you don't want them to ever encounter any potentially dangerous microbes. But look, look at this. This is from an article in the New York Times. Studies have shown that priming or seeding of the microbiome in the child is absolutely critical, she said. While you don't want to go out and expose your child to aggressive infections, you don't want to create such a sterile environment that their immune system doesn't develop normally. It puts them at risk of developing immune diseases. Oh, keeping them safe can actually cause problems. And what we've learned, Dr. Gilbert said, is that early life exposure to microbes can shape not only the immune system, affecting a child's likelihood of developing autoimmune conditions like eczema and asthma, but also the endocrine system and even the child's neurodevelopment. So with that in mind, we can trust not that our wounds aren't hurting and that the things we go through aren't painful, but that they're used to strengthen something constructive for us, that we are like the immune system progresses as we grow, there is some spiritual immunity that we're building through all of our times of struggle. We can see this principle play out in Swedenborg's own life as well. We're so lucky as to have his Journal of Dreams, a manuscript that he wrote during that transitional period when he was going through a spiritual awakening. And in that journal, he uses the word temptations, meaning trials or crises, over 30 times. He was going through a lot of very intense stuff. He was wrestling with pride. He was wrestling even with food issues. He was wrestling with a sense of being a sinful, unworthy person. He was 
wrestling with sexual feelings and where he should stand in relation to them. And out of those experiences, he came away with a deeper sense of how important humility is and a feeling of genuine humility. He was also blessed to witness tearfully sometimes the mercy of the Lord to lift him up and to encourage him and support him when, as far as he was concerned, he was at his absolute worst. Imitating an infection, if we're going to find some logic to what's going on with us spiritually and through these difficult times that we go through, let's see if we can find a parallel in what happens in physical life. Spiritual crises grant us immunity by imitating an infection, which is a lot like this, a hot topic in the world right now, vaccines. This is from a CDC explainer. Vaccines help develop immunity by imitating an infection. You'd think to get immunity, you'd get as far as you could from infections. This type of infection, however, almost never causes illness, but it does cause the immune system to produce T lymphocytes and antibodies. Once the imitation infection goes away, the body is left with a supply of memory T lymphocytes, as well as B lymphocytes that will remember how to fight that disease in the future. However, it typically takes a few weeks for the body to produce T lymphocytes and B lymphocytes after vaccination. So you have to introduce a version, like a dumbed down version of the actual thing to build up the immune system, to be able to fight it. So in there, there was this quote, vaccines help develop immunity by imitating an infection. How do we parallel that spiritually? Well, what's a spiritual infection? You are infected spiritually when you love what's evil. It's not the same that evil is attacking you, but when we, when we love the kind of harm that, that gets us some kind of reward and we live in it and do it, you've got it. You've caught the disease. Look, about the, look at this passage about evil and good spirits in these spiritual crises that we go through. There are evil spirits and good spirits with each of us. The evil spirits are in our evil tendencies and the good spirits are in our good tendencies. That's cool to think about those forces showing up in sort of your day-to-day -day choices. When the evil spirits come closer, they stir up our evil tendencies. And the good spirits respond by stirring up our good ones. This leads to a collision and a battle that causes the inner anxiety that is a crisis of the spirit. So we know the anxiety, we know that feeling, but think about those two forces and how they interact. Isn't that just like the vaccine? And the angels are the immune response, and the evil spirits are the introduced infection simulation. It happens when we get sick as well. I mean, that you could think of the evil like the pathogen and the angels as our immune system. This is the pattern, though. Think about when the first time a phone scam ever called you. I bet you talked to them. Now, do you even pick up the phone? No, you get used to things. You get prepared for things, and that's what's going on here inside us spiritually. It can be tougher or easier if, if evils are really active, if we're living it, rather than just something that we were sort of born with an inclination toward. But the system can handle that as well. We just have to keep working at it. We often hear about inflammation in a negative sense. But actually, according to this article, the inflammatory response following tissue injury plays important roles both in normal and pathological healing. So when you have the right amount of it, it's a key part of that healing. So think about the processes that are going on there. You have homeostasis where everything seems like it's good, but then there's some injury, you got this early infection, and all these different kinds of cells have to show up 
neutrophils, macrophages, lymphocytes, mast cells, everything that's needed to deal with whatever kind of negative stimulus is there. So flipping that to the spiritual parallel with the angels and the evil spirits, which sounds so weird, but mirrors this exactly. If you think about immune cells are like belief in these various goods and truths, that the higher things in your mind that you apply in these difficult times to make it better. And if you're going to say it's angels, it's the same thing. Our angels, are, remember, are in our good tendencies. They're in our good ideas. So these neutrophils and things showing up, it's just like the angels showing up on the scene. The inflammation, the period of inflammation is like the spiritual trial, which isn't pleasant, but it is healing us of this stuff. And then the wound is, or the vaccine or whatever it is, is evil spirits stirring up our evils, the stimulus. When they stir them up, and that's what makes the immune system stirred up in response. So this is a process, this whole spiritual process that takes us from evil and falsity to goodness and truth and happens through hard times in life. You go through that on a miniature physical level all the time, every time you scrape your knuckles when you're trying to open the door. Do, you, is that, do people do that? You know what I'm talking about. As in heaven, so upon the earth. This is already going on physically. That can give us a little bit of context for the spiritual stuff and understand why you have to have this element of difficulty in it in order for us to really form that spiritual immunity. I'm so intrigued by the fact that it can take a few weeks for the body to produce T lymphocytes and B lymphocytes after vaccination. A spiritual correlation might be this fascinating point Swedenborg makes about our process after going through a spiritual crisis. He writes in Secrets of Heaven, When our trials are over, we experience a kind of wavering. And if our trials have been spiritual, it's a vacillation between truth and falsity, as can be seen clearly enough from the fact that trial is the beginning of regeneration. We are left with almost no idea what is true or good. We are so unsure that we scarcely know whether anything is true. Yet slowly, bit by bit, light begins to pierce the murk or darkness we live in. So the trial is the beginning of our regeneration, just like a vaccination begins with being inoculated with an antigen. The antibody production isn't immediate, but takes time. After a spiritual trial, we don't feel grounded in spiritual truth right away, but instead we waver between truth and falsity. But that wavering is actually a sign of our developing spiritual immunity. Anatomy of a spiritual trial. So we have struggles in life, and there's actually two major kinds. There are spiritual trials and natural trials. And here's how you tell them apart. The spiritual temptations or spiritual trials happen in our inner self, and the natural ones happen in the outer self. Sometimes they happen separately. Sometimes they happen overlapping or at the same time. How you can tell if it's a natural trial is it has to do with natural or physical or external suffering. So this would be the physical body suffering, but also the things we care about externally. So our position in society suffering, our wealth suffering. Whenever we feel like we're unfortunate or persecuted or wrongly punished, so on and so on. And the anxious feelings we feel when our life is disrupted. It's like, you've got a plan for your life. This is how I want things to go this is not going how I wanted it, that anxiety is what you would call natural trials. But that, those on their own don't necessarily contribute anything to our spiritual life, because what they are is the result of harm done to our ego's plans. This is the life of what Swedenborg would call self-love and love of the world. So love of your own 
reputation and love of your own esteem, that's what's really threatened here. So that on its own doesn't make us spiritually develop. And it's important to note, before we get on to what does make us spiritually develop, that God is not, even those natural things, God is not sitting there causing this stuff. He's not saying, well, I'm going to give you, you're going to get a cold right now, and then I'm going to push this button, and you're going to lose your job. But, as we said, the system or the situation is imperfect, evil is around, things are in a messed up state, so we do go through these things. Now, here's how those outer misfortunes can actually lead to spiritual good for us. This is from Secrets of Heaven. Spiritual trials, however, test our inner self and attack our spiritual life. In spiritual trials, we do not worry about any loss of earthly life, but of faith and charity and consequently of salvation, which sounds like some theological terminology, but really, so faith is what is true, charity is love of others, and salvation is like spiritual, uh, spiritual hope. So when you're feeling like, oh, the, the core things that are true and good, are, I'm, I'm, they're in doubt, and, and I'm, I'm concerned, and I have anxiety around that stuff, this is when it can really get intense. And these struggles, he goes on to say, are often triggered by earthly struggles. Oh, so these two can go together because during them, so during the time when all the earthly stuff is disrupted that we talked about before, in sickness or pain or the loss of wealth, prestige, and so on, we might find ourselves thinking about the help the Lord offers or about His providence. How many of all of us, even though we're here watching this channel, trying to be spiritual, as soon as something's going wrong, we're much more like, okay, God, I need your help, I need your help. We might think about the way the wicked boast and preen while the virtuous agonize and suffer various types of pain and loss. There you go. That's something, that's around goodness and truth. That's a tangible example because you could be thinking, man, is life even fair? Why are people who are living in this really disruptive, negative way seeming to get what they want and people who try to do what's right? Is God even good? That's the added level of spiritual pain that starts to open us up. If we do think these thoughts, Spiritual trial then combines with earthly trial because that stuff is becoming front and center for us. So the, the major component that defines spiritual trials is when it's not centered on our ego concerns, but on what's right and wrong or in that element. So it's not like, ah, oh, why am I going to lose this thing I want? But why do we suffer? Why don't, aren't, why aren't good people who are trying to be good given good things, right? Does that distinction make sense? So all those things that disrupt our natural life, the, our concerns about status, our concerns about reputation, our concerns about getting what we want, maintaining the course that we have set, those can, when disrupted, be paired with these deeper beliefs. So if suddenly the disruption of that makes us pause and think about, do, do I need God? Uh, what is right and wrong? Uh, suddenly I'm thinking about other people and what they're going through. This just happens when, when you're going through difficult things. Oh, I'm suddenly, as soon as you're worried about your health, you're thinking, okay, well, what, what really matters? You know, I got to spend more time with the people I love, right? Isn't that almost a cliche? When those two go together, the disruption, the, which is the only way that really lets the ego off the reins a little bit and lets us kind of wake up out of that, pairing that with the consideration of deeper spiritual things, leads us to this environment that allows for this spiritual growth. And this is just like when a little kid, where you're fighting off those first cold viruses. This is us fighting off evil and falsity and letting God establish goodness and truth 
Instead, this is building up our spiritual immune system. And the spiritual immune system essentially allows us to be in heaven because heaven is when you are protected from everything evil and false that's trying to get in and infect you. Pain is an important aspect of our body's defense mechanisms. And actually, people who cannot feel the sensation of pain have lower life expectancies because they are less aware when damage is happening. For humans and animals, pain causes the body to pull away from danger and avoid it in the future. And also, pain is an important alert when something is going wrong in the body and it needs attention or treatment or changes in habits or environment. Also, in another way, uh, pain can be just telling us about important processes that are going on in the body, transformative processes, like when an out-of-shape muscle is being transformed into an in-shape muscle, or the body is working hard to purge out some toxins. We can think about mental and emotional pain in the same way, and also the pain that is part of spiritual crises. When we feel emotional or mental pain, uh, that's an alert. Something, something needs attention. Something needs support or treatment and maybe changes in perspective or life circumstances. Or pain uh, of spiritual crisis can be letting us know that important processes are going on, transformative processes in which Negativity that is holding us back in our spiritual development is being stirred up and purged in order to lead us toward better spiritual health and well-being. What's it all for? Okay, we get it. It's going somewhere. It's building something. But what's the end goal? What's the end game that justifies discomfort, justifies these things that we go through? Well, this is what Swedenborg says about the purpose of it all. These days, people do not realize that anyone who is reforming is reduced to ignorance or a stripping away of the truth to the point of grief and despair. That's no fun, grief and despair, but why? What's it for? They do not realize that this, that this is the point at which such a person first receives comfort and help from the Lord. What? Why there? The reason it is unknown is that few today are reforming. People who are capable of reforming go through this stage in the next life, if not in physical life. So you get there anyway. In the other world, that, the state is very familiar and it's called devastation or desolation. Oh, hey, how was your day? I was going through devastation and desolation. Yeah, I was there the other day. People undergoing this kind of devastation or purging are reduced all the way to the point of despair. And when they reach that stage, they then accept comfort and help from the Lord. Eventually, they are taken from that state to heaven, where among the angels they essentially relearn what there is to know about religious goodness and truth. Because you've got to sometimes clean house. We've got stuff that's brought, in us, that's brought us a certain amount of the way there, but to really get this absolute upgrade that heaven is, you've got to clear that out and be willing to, I'm going to start learning again, you know, like I did at the beginning. The main purpose of this devastation and desolation, here's what it is is to shatter the veneer of self-serving dogmatism. We have this dogma about ourselves built up. We have all this sort of layering of untrue things and justifications, and that's got to be wiped out so that we 
can accept what's good. Another, but if that's not good enough for you, another is to make it possible for people to receive a perception of goodness and truth, which they cannot do until the self-serving dogmatism is softened up, so to speak. A state of distress and grief that intensifies to the point of despair accomplishes just that. We cannot tell precisely what is good or even what is blissful or happy without first going through a phase that is not good, blissful, or happy. Yeah, if you ever think about you've just been on a really long, I don't know, hike or something, resting after that, knowing what it is to be unhappy, really does give you perspective on what happy is. From the experience, we develop a field of sensitivity, and the worse the negative phase has been, the more sensitive we become. The perspectives we form through actual experience create the, f- create the field of perception and determine how far it reaches. These then, along with many others, are the reasons for devastation or desolation. So I'm not trying to say that the things we go through aren't terrible and aren't difficult. And I'm not trying to say that you will just laugh them all off. But what I am trying to say, and what I am going to say, is that we are guaranteed to get to a point where we understand, where we get what was really happening. Like God's divine weaving throughout all of our life experiences that even though a lot of them we wish could happen a different way and God wishes could happen a different way, that the end is preserved. That the end goal, when we get into this state of mind, this absolutely awesome mode of existence, this heaven that actually is built on the spiritual growth we had through even everything we went through, we are going to say, okay, like I understand uh, what it was all for. And in that moment, it's just going to be excitement for the future and what we can do with everything that's been built up throughout, uh, you know, our, our wild uh, experiences of life. Off the Left Eye is Curtis Childs, director, producer, and host. Karen Childs, writer, community manager, and host. Chelsea Odner, writer, production manager, and host. And Jonathan Rose, host and series editor of the NCE. Shada Sullivan is the voice you love in our narrations. Stuart Farmer is our technical director. Matthew Childs, our video art director. Our motion designers are Meng Jong and Jesse Johnson. Reed McArdle made our music. Devin Osblond is our production intern. Cara Dom is our Latin consultant extraordinaire. And Chris Dunn is our digital marketing magician. And you are our much-loved listener. And now you can journey with us all week. Every Monday's Swedenborgian Life episode, including this one, has a week's worth of content lined up to support you in your exploration of these life-changing ideas. All video content premieres at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time on the Off the Left Eye YouTube, Facebook, and Simplecast channels. On Tuesdays, find us on social media or go to offtheleftye.com to get custom downloadable art paired with the week's topic to ground you through the week. On Wednesdays, join us to dig a little deeper into the week's topic with news from heaven. On Thursdays, we want to hear from you. We'll be sharing a new reflection question weekly on our community tab and social media channels. Then join us for Swedenborg Live on Fridays for our panel Q&A show. And listen every Sunday to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to always know what we're up to and what you can look forward to. If you want to help sustain Off the Left Eye's operations, consider becoming a monthly donor today. And right now, we have a matching gift challenge from a very generous donor couple where dollar for dollar up to $10,000 will be matched when you make a new or increased monthly donation. You can provide a direct gift or restrict it to our new Off the Left Eye endowment fund. Giving to the endowment fund is a great way to guarantee that your gifts live on to help Off the Left Eye forever. 
go to otle.causevox.com to become part of our essential community of donors. From all of us here at Off the Left Eye, we thank you.